I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to the Monday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Julian McKenzie. Normally you hear my voice alongside Ian Mendez's. Uh, Ian isn't here with us right now. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this. He may or may not be preparing a bid for the Ottawa Senators. See, that's that may be the reason why he's not here. Uh, again, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but here we are. So in his place, uh, Max Boltman, who covers the Detroit Red Wings, uh, is here with us today. Max, how are you doing, man? Good. I just have to say Ian would be some of the most stable ownership you could have. I, I don't, you know, does he have a billion dollars? That would be news to me, but uh, he would be a tremendous owner. If he had a billion dollars, uh, he would be uh, holding out on all of us because, uh, you know, I, I think we're friends, Ian. Yeah, if he's got a billion, pod- he's got to give Come you on. a raise for the show. Come yeah. on, give me a raise. Uh, he he owes me for for a bet that we did during the playoffs. I'm I'm waiting on this 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 blue cookie tin. Like I should be getting like dozens of those if he has a billion dollars laying around that he could buy the Ottawa Senators. But uh, yeah, no, he'll he'll be back at some point. But uh, Max, thank you for filling in with me on this Monday edition. We've got a bunch of topics to get through. We'll talk about the Stanley Cup final. Uh, we'll talk about Mike Babcock being back. Uh, but not too long before we got started. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens announced an eight-year contract extension for Cole Caulfield uh, with an AAV of $7.85 million. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, what that number would be like for him uh, when it came time for him to resign with the Montreal Canadiens. That extension is there. I would like to know your early thoughts about it. My first thought looking at it was, wow, that's a big number for a guy who hasn't, you know, has only played 120 NHL games, but I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those deals that we look back on in a couple of years and say either, yep, that's about right, or, oh, they were really smart to do that when they did. Uh, if Cole Caulfield becomes, as I think he will, a routine 40-goal scorer in the NHL, I mean, you just compare what you think Alex Dabrinkit is going to get, right? Um, I think Alex Dabrinkit is going to get above this number, and I think there's a good mm-hmm. chance that Cole Caulfield is scoring at a higher rate than Alex Dabrinkit. Um, most of the years of this deal. So um, first reaction was like, wow, that seems a little high this early, especially, you know, he, he only played the the partial season this year, but 
I think it's probably going to be a good contract. And I think we have to keep all this in the context, Julian, is something you and I were talking about over the weekend uh, as it pertains to Elias Lindholm. We expect the salary cap, if not, I mean, obviously not this year, in the coming years to go up substantially. I think there's a good chance this is going to look like a good deal. Yeah, like I look at Cole Caulfield. I mean, during the time I was in Montreal, getting to see him play, getting to see him come up. This is a player who has found his way into the NHL thanks to his blistering shot which I get it. He has the size. This doesn't have the size. It's a very diminutive player. But the fact that he has been able to wire it from the Ovechkin spot and make it work. And if it wasn't for that injury, who knows how many goals he would have been able to score last year. And the fact that the Canadians were able to keep him under $8 million. I'm surprised. There are some people who are thinking, wow, that's a lot for this player. I was surprised it was under $8 million, considering the goal scoring potential of this player. And I get it. These contracts are you're basically projecting out and paying for what you think this player will be like. But I think for a guy who it would not surprise me if it happens in our lifetime that he scores 50 goals for the Montreal Canadiens. I thought this would be a guy who'd be getting eight million, uh, an eight year deal. Obviously, that makes sense. But this I thought Cole Caulfield would be getting around eight million dollars. So the fact that he is just getting a notch below, I'm genuinely surprised about. Not to mention too, uh, no, no trade clause until like year six of that deal. I, I think what it is, is it's the latest kind of indication that, you know, for so long in NHL, you got paid for what you had done, not necessarily mm-hmm. what you were going to do over the life of that deal, right? And so you look at Cole Caulfield right now, he has never scored 30 goals in a season, right? And that's where you're like, you're going to get the surprise. I remember having a similar reaction, though, to when Brady Kachuk signed his big contract. And I was like, this is a guy, I don't, at that time, I don't even know if he had scored 70 points. Um, obviously, Brady Kachuk is well worth his contract now, right? And I think this is just the direction we're going in the league. You're, you're going to start to see eight-year deals out of ELC uh, that are going to maybe do a little bit of projecting in, in terms of what this player looks like he's going to be, um, to your point. And I think that's what it is with Kolkov. If, if you project out his pace from this year, he was threatening the 50-goal pace already. So I, I feel comfortable he's going to score 40 goals multiple times over the life of this deal. Um, and you know, I use the Debrinket comp because that's a contract that's going to be very interesting either this summer yes. or next summer, whenever he gets his, I bet it comes in at a higher number than this, or maybe right around it, but Caulfield, you're getting his, his complete prime and the Debrinket one, you'll have to take a couple tail end years where you're not sure if it'll be that. So I like the contract now. It was just a, I probably had the same reaction that a lot of the people you're talking about did. I'm just like, Ooh, I don't know. Can you give him that yet? But to your point, this is the. Um, the projecting way, and I think that's the way that contracts are going to go. Yeah. Also, like that contract going down, now we're going to wait and see if Elias Lindholm, what's going to come of that. We're in that, we're starting to get closer and closer to to that contract season where we're wondering, okay, like what are these extensions coming in at? Is this player going to sign an extension? That's like a big domino that has fallen in all of this as far as I'm concerned. Totally. And I mean, this is the most fun time of the year, right? Like people, people ask me, uh, you know, what do you do in the off season? And it's like, well, if you ask me that in August, the answer is like, I'm not doing much. But if you ask me that in June, it's like, I'm about to start a six week sprint between all the player stuff that's going to happen over the next month, including the draft, free agency, development camp. This is the the silly season. And uh, I think this contract's the, the first sign that we're getting into some some real news. And And not just with players, too. We have to talk about coaches as well. We've seen the uh, the turnover in certain markets with GMs. Uh, we know last week was all about Kyle Dubas and, and Brad for living and, and head coaching news as well. There's one story uh, that has made the rounds over the weekend. Aaron Portslines reported on this as well. Uh, Mike Babcock, 
uh, longtime NHL head coach in Detroit, spent time in Anaheim, got the Stanley Cup as well, the Olympic gold medals, spent time in Toronto, uh, went away after being fired, uh, spent some time coaching uh, up in Saskatchewan at the University of Saskatchewan for a bit. It seems like he's coming back to the NHL uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm very, I'm not sure what to make of this, to be quite honest. And I think we should have a discussion about Mike Babcock. And and yes, I get the resumes there, but we also know there's been reports and stories of how he's treating certain players. A guy like Johan Franzen uh, does not think highly of Mike Babcock, and that's putting it very lightly. Uh, a player like Mitch Marner, uh, when he was a very younger player with with Mike Babcock with the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, was put through uh, a work ethic list, uh, which uh, kind of got to a point where it was kind of made public among, among his teammates. That's another story that's kind of followed him. And another thing with Mike Babcock as well, just with the ego that kind of follows him, he doesn't come across as a guy who has kind of shied away from that ego. So I do have a lot of questions about this, but we should start this discussion uh, just with also with your thoughts as well on Mike Babcock, uh, the reports swirling around that he is supposed to return to the NHL as head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets once his contract expires with the Leafs. It's an interesting one. I, honestly, I know people have been bringing up Babcock's names for openings, you know, for the last couple of years here. I maybe naively did not think this would happen. You know, I, I think I do believe that, like, you mess up, you can get a second chance. I, I do. Um, but I just kind of felt like in in the direction that the sport is moving, in the direction that we're moving with, you know, how basically coaching is um, transformed from, I think Paul Maurice even talked about it recently, going from like, you're, you're a growler to, to not that very much. Like you're, you're almost managing people. And, you know, I guess we'll find out whether Mike Babcock has changed in that way, but it, it, the, the, the long track record says I'm skeptical of whether that will be the case. Um, but I guess we're going to see what, what it really stood out to me though, Julian is like, do you hire Mike Babcock in the position that the Columbus Blue Jackets are in? Like maybe Columbus just sees themselves so differently from how I look at them. I think you hire Mike Babcock when you are ready to like be in the playoffs next season. I know they got Johnny Gaudreau on the roster and I'm sure he wants to win. But man, if this doesn't seem like a team that's three years away hiring a guy that you hire, you know, in theory, if you're going to hire him, you do it like when you're three years farther down the road, when you're actually ready to win, not when you're going to have all these young players who, boy, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, like no, no disrespect to the Columbus Blue Jackets and and the city and, and all that. But you're right. Like this is not a team in my mind that is a competitive team yet. And I understand last year they went through a whole bunch of injuries like it looked like the Cleveland Monsters more than the Columbus Blue Jackets by the end of the year. But I'm. Yeah, right. Like, uh, if you hire, if you're hiring a guy like Mike Babcock, I, I imagine a team being in a situation where they needed to get someone to get some juice out of them. They they have cont- they have a players, they have a contending window, and they need someone to put them at that point to get them over the top. Columbus, to me, even if they have Gaudreau, even if they have Patrick Laine, like they don't look like that to me, especially in the division that they're into in the Metro with Carolina. You know, they're going to want to try to run it back and see if they could do better. The New York Rangers want that first round exit out of their mouth. The New Jersey Devils as well have emerged as a really good team in that division. Like they might be better than the Philadelphia Flyers, but like that's it right now, at least on paper. And, and you know, all the reporting that's coming out kind of points to this idea that the the Blue Jackets had like an, an immature locker room. They needed to kind of be put in order and whatever. I get it. That That's why you're going to hire Mike Babcock, but it almost feels like you're going to have to do two things at once. 
You're going to have to have Mike Babcock uh, be the guy he's always been in that way to, to get it into order. But you're ask, you're probably, presumably, uh, at least from public perception, you would think that they're also asking him to like be an evolved version of Mike Babcock and not go to the lengths that, that he you know reportedly has gone to in the past. You know, that seems kind of like an interesting needle to try to thread to me. Like you're, you're hiring him to be the guy he's always been, but you're also taking a bet that he's changed. Like, ah, that's, that seems tough to me to do both. And, and this is at a time too, where I feel more than ever, we're hearing more stories of players stepping up at the end of season saying, well, you know what? I don't like this guy as head coach. And, and maybe not just like one player, like, not like NBA style where it's like it's very clear the superstar player and the head coach don't get along. But the fact that we're 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 there's at least like two coaches I'm thinking of where Gerard Gallant and Daryl Sutter, where it seemed pretty clear that players were not on board with those coaches. And we we bring and Daryl Sutter in particular noted hard ass head coach, a little bit more old school in his ways. Mike Babcock coming back like. Yeah, like I, I, I'm not sure if he has done enough to show him that he's evolved. But like I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking purely from an outsider's perspective when it comes to Mike Babcock. But I just have to wonder if you are Johnny Gaudreau, and I get that he's played for a lot of those types of coaches in his life. Do you want to go through that again? If you're Patrick Line, do you want to go through that again? I know Zach Rorensky, He uh, apparently texted Aaron Portsline. You know what? He trusts uh, GM Yarmo Kekalainen for him to make the right decision. Some of those guys that are there, I get it. You're right. You want you want them to shape up and you want them to be more mature. But knowing what's out there about Mike Babcock, I just and I know we're we're more or less referencing those two stories. But players talk, man. Like I I I, I have to wonder with a guy like Mike, like how do people in that locker room feel about having that man back? Yeah, and obviously to your point, like what 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 is he shown? Like there's there's no way to know because until you're back in that position, that's what it is, and I think that's that's kind of the question that you have for these teams when you're making decisions like this is you, you are kind of going off of an educated guess. You're not going to have a track record to say, what have they changed until they're in a position where they can show it one way or the other. I, I get that's the line the teams are walking. It's just, that I, this is one that I probably wouldn't have done, but you know what? They're in a position where they feel like it's the one that makes the most sense. We're certainly going to see. Um, I don't think that hard coaching like doesn't have a place in this league anymore. Like I think hard mm-hmm. coaching certainly has a place, but I do think, uh, we're seeing maybe more modern approaches to that. Um, and we're going to find out with Mike Babcock. I, you know, what's the reception? Have you, have you read much out of Columbus? Like are, are fans into this? Do they like the idea of the guy who's won a bunch and, and getting it all whipped into shape or are fans as reticent about this as I think you I'm and I not know. Sure. We are. Like I, 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 I'm not, I'm, in terms of the reaction, I, I've seen a lot of people just, I've seen it more generally, not necessarily out of Columbus. But I think a lot of people are, you know, the fact that his name is out there and his name kind of, I, I'll say unfairly, because I think what Joe Quenville and Stan Bowman were involved with, I think it's a little bit more serious than what Mike Babcock uh, kind of did. But there have been people who are just kind of groaning at the fact that the, the, the coaching mill, the rumor mill, have it be, has those three particular names just being floated around for opportunities. And you brought up a really good point with the fact that, you know what, people who do mess up. They can get second chances. What do you do uh, when you're those people and you're fighting for a second chance? Like, I, I don't know if Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman have done enough to deserve second chances. Uh, Mike Babcock has has spoken on record for different platforms about 
uh, how things went in Toronto and uh, about how his coaching career and everything else has come out about that. And the one interview I'm, I'm thinking of in, in particular uh, from Sportsnet from about at least two years ago, to me, he did not come across as an individual who was contrite and and realized he had done wrong. I, I think he was one of those people who's like, oh, well, you know what? If if that happens to be the case, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess, but I'm still Mike Babcock. And I think he still referred to himself like, you know, like I'm Mike Babcock, like like Mike Babcock's still going to bet on himself. Like like that ego's still there for me. Uh, so I, the general thoughts and, and feelings I've seen have been more just like, you know, like, oh, you know, the the culture, we're, we're all trying to see this culture be better. And all these people are, I mean, you talk about retreads getting thrown back into the game here. Those three names in particular being discussed for potential jobs. I haven't seen too many people be happy about it, but that, that's also the internet. There are other people who, frankly, they hear even us discussing about, it, they're like, well, who cares? Like, we just want to win. We just want to put ourselves in a position where we can win. But one other thing I, I think of too is, this is also a move you do when you realize, okay, we need something to work or my ass is on the firing line. I, I wonder if Yarmo Kekalainen is feeling that because that because because he could have easily gone with somebody else. Yeah, it, it's just and I mean, in these I think this style of coach has a shelf life, right? But like they they just got rid of John Tortorella two years ago. I mm-hmm. actually think John Tortorella, for all of the the public uh, per, kind of perceptions of him, I think he's probably a better example of how to be the hard coach who you don't usually hear players. You hear players clash with him, right? Like there's obviously the Pierre yeah. Dubois stuff. There's one or two, but you don't really hear many players question whether John Tortorella like cares about them and their well-being and all this stuff. Like I think he's a really good example of a hard coach that can still coach you hard, get the most out of you, and not have stuff like this come out. We did not hear anything in in the Mike Babcock vein about John Tortorella. And I'm pretty sure people were looking for it, right? Because when that was kind of the question, when all this is coming out is like, well, what's going to happen with torts? I think Aaron Portsline did a tremendous story along those lines um, of, of like former players talking about it and how that wasn't the case. So he's a good example of a guy who you can have this kind of coaching style with, without the extra stuff you got rid of him. Maybe you had to do that. You needed a new voice that happens in this sport, but now you're going to try it the other way. And I guess we're going to find out, you know, it's, it's going to be, the test case, uh, reportedly, and we'll see whether it comes to fruition. And, and if it does, we'll see how it goes. But now, now you bring up a really interesting point now, because it's not like the Columbus Blue Jackets haven't tried this hard nose approach before through through having. But a it worked like for them, right? Like in fairness, it, to did them, work. It, it did work for them. Yeah, it did work until I guess it didn't. Right. Yeah. And that's what I mean about like the, the message. Eventually, you need a new voice. I think when you have that kind of approach, but like it did get them their first playoff series win in franchise history. It's not for, you know, the uh, Panarin, Bobrovsky departures. I'd be very curious to see where Columbus was today if they had both of those guys. Bobrovsky right now has the Florida Panthers, you know, four wins from winning the Stanley Cup. Um, but, you know, I, I think people could also rightfully say, you know, did the did it cost him Dubois, whatever. But kind of seems like in hindsight, Dubois maybe knew where he would end up all along. Um, mm. maybe I'm speaking out of turn. I don't know, but, uh, mm, I don't know. I, coming in on the Monday show. hot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm not in Pierre-Luc Dubois head, but usually when you start to kind of hear this much speculation of where a guy's going to end up, I don't think it's coming from nowhere. Right. That's true. That's true. That might be for another episode. Um, one other thing I want to bring up, uh, before we actually go through, uh, a Stanley cup final game that was played in the last few days, because, I know we did a lot of sitting around, but we can say there was hockey played. 
Um, but I do want to talk about this article from uh, Sean Gentili and Mike Russo. Uh, the NHL in Atlanta, why Chapter 3 could be completely different. Uh, yes, this is a city that has had two NHL teams before. One uh, moved from Atlanta, went to Calgary. Uh, the other one uh, had went to Winnipeg. Uh, it's kind of weird how all these Atlanta franchises are just moving to Canadian franchise, Canadian cities. But uh, we've heard some rumblings. We're seeing the, the tweets from certain journalists uh, being like, hey, maybe Atlanta's in the future. Uh, hey, Arizona, we're trying to figure out their situation right now. Could that be a, a viable replacement city? Is someone going to build an arena in Atlanta? Let, let's let's discuss this here uh, because I would love to see a team in Atlanta. It, it was always cool seeing the Thrashers. It was always cool seeing guys like Ilya Kovalchuk rip it up for that team. Uh, what do you think about the idea that the NHL could one day return uh, to Georgia? I got no problem with it, but I just want to know why the NHL wants to seemingly be so big like we're hearing all this all these new markets and it doesn't feel like it's going to be just like pick one of the four it's starting to feel reading all this stuff like they want to expand again by two or more or more teams and I, why do you want to be that big i don't i mean i'm sure there's a financial interest in it but that's my like you know we're talking about salt lake we're talking about atlanta we're talking about houston and we presume that one of those is just going to be where the coyotes ends up but it doesn't feel like the other two are going to get left out on the curb. Like, it feels like, does it not feel like this is where we're headed? Absolutely. And you mentioned, like, well, why would you want to be big? Do you see those growing expansion fees? Why would you want to be big? But it, like, uh, come on. Like, the NHL, of, of all the big four leagues, like, they need the money. They not just, I get it. You know, they got billions of dollars. Uh, they're making some money. But considering what the NBA is doing, Major League Baseball, NFL, they could use some of those expansion fees. And it's not like before, like when Atlanta came into the league and they went through a pretty crappy expansion draft and, and they had like Ray Ferraro, no respect to Ray Ferraro, but like Ray Ferraro near the end of his career and what, Nelson Emerson? Yeah. I'm reading the article, they're saying Nelson Emerson? I don't even know who that is. I have to look up Nelson Emerson. But yeah, like, we're a little young for that of, one. That, those are the types of players leading the Atlanta, that Atlanta Thrashers franchise. Considering how expansion drafts go now, Considering how much more smart GMs are, because remember, people were dumping all the Golden Knights, how they handled it. People were dumping all the Seattle Kraken for how they handled it. There's the potential if if Atlanta were to get a new team through an expansion or however they make it work, maybe they end up being a little bit more competitive than we would give them credit for. There's an opportunity for them. There's a, there's a pipeline for them to be a decent team out of the box and fans who... You know, as opposed to what the article says, where they were coming 45 minutes out to, to watch this team, they could actually enjoy a decent product on the ice. Like, I, I think it'd be really fun to do. And, and I'm someone who very much wants to see hockey in Quebec City. And I know people are going to listen to this and be like, well, you know, that should be there. All those fans are able to be there. I want it bad. But I also understand that the NHL is trying to grow the game in other markets that don't have it in order to make itself more popular. I'm able to see that other side of the argument. And if you're able to make it work in Atlanta, why not do it? And the financials just aren't close, right? What we would, what we would presume, obviously the, the fan base passion level is one thing, right? Like, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, Quebec City is probably the place that would most adore an NHL team that they were given, right? But when you look at the size of the Atlanta market, the size of the Houston market, like we're talking about a different thing here, right? And and they don't have them already in the the province or still, I guess that Houston does, but Atlanta doesn't already have one in the, in the state, right? That uh, I don't know. You'd have to fill me in. I am not, I would not imagine that Quebec city fans are like diehard 
Habs well, fans, but well, no, they were like a lot of them were not diehard yeah. Canadians fans, and maybe some of them have changed ever since the move. But like, but they're know, still like, diehard the, hockey fans there, yeah, right? Like, like, like you're not like the, you're not losing out on those fans right now. No, like 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 how many of them took to the streets uh, on Sunday to celebrate uh, Les Remparts, like winning the Memorial Cup? Like like they're there, they're going to be there as soon as the NHL comes calling. And believe me, when the NHL comes calling for Quebec City, you're going to see Premier Francois Legault there, like Pierre Palado, all the all the big names are going to be there. Don't worry. When it comes time, they're going to be there. But, but, like, it, but my point is, like, yes, aren't they already there? Like, you know, the, they've been there. They're, they're, they're been there. They're not you're checked right. out of the league without the oh, no. without you know the Nordiques, right? Like, in, no. are you losing Georgia without the Thrashers? The answer to that might be yes, right? And so there's yes. like there's a big difference between, in my opinion between like, what are you adding versus like your Quebec city is the more deserving of the reward. Like I have no doubt about that, but in Me too. I a business that. case, I think there is more upside to, to doing this in Atlanta and trying to grab one of the premier U S you know, city economies and state economy, you know, uh, market size, whatever, and harnessing that versus you're rewarding one of your existing really good markets in Quebec city. Right. So that's how I view it. Uh, I think it will and could work whenever they do it. It kind of seems like with all the buzz around it, it kind of feels like we're just being primed for it to happen more so than it being speculated on to me. Um, but, I, you know, I'm just curious, like, at what point does it dilute? You know, and I don't think we're at the point of dilution. But what is that point? Is it 34? Is it 36? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. And forty would be amazing. That it's very possible. Uh, these expansion teams are playing well, like all that. But um, that would be my only concern. Is like, how big do you want to get? But in terms of all these markets, I heard the Ryan Smith interview on Thirty Two Thoughts over the weekend. That guy sounds tremendous as a potential owner, right? I love the mm-hmm. idea of NHL Houston. So each of these ideas individually, I can completely see why the NHL would be into. Um, I just wonder how how many you want to do, but. Here's, here's, Fortunately, here's I'm my not thing. the one who has to decide. <laughs> here's my thing about, about dilution and all that. And I think the NHL especially does this more than any other league. So many fans care so much solely about their own team. What, what is adding more teams going to do to their lives? Like when I see people say like, oh, man, they're going to add a, a 33rd team or a 34th team. Oh, it's going to be like 40-something teams there. Like you only care about insert team name here and when they check out like you don't really like we've seen it like you check out of the season entirely so like my vantage point look at that is like so if they add like three or four other teams that you weren't really going to pay attention to anyway why are you mad about it that's how i see it well to me it's not so much that though it's like okay so the nhl loves its kind of competitive balance and its parity right and i for good reason i think it's one of the best things about the sport and I think if you add more teams and you're, you're doing these more expansion drafts, you can make an argument that, okay, yeah, you're, you're spreading the love more. You're going to have more good teams, more good games, more hockey in general. At what point when you are spreading the talent, though, across 34 or 36 instead of 32 or 30, does it tilt the balance more in an NBA way where the guy who has Connor McDavid, the guy who the team who has Connor McDavid, the team who has Austin Matthews, the team that has Nathan McKinnon, now suddenly it's much harder to create a Seattle Kraken-like team where depth can thwart that, right? In my in my mind, that's where this would go, is that when you dilute the ability to build teams on depth, because, you know, I mean, maybe we're not there. Maybe, maybe there's just that many good hockey players that even 34 or 36 wouldn't do that. I don't want to get to a place in hockey where just the team that has the best player will win. It's my favorite thing about the sport is that 
the best player does not always win. Um, and, and even one of, one of the best players does not always win. You're, you're going to get, you know, top 10 player usually on the Stanley Cup winner. But you don't have to have that first overall pick to win in the NHL. And I like that. I mean, I still think you could still have that considering the way the game of hockey's played where, especially in the playoffs, where teams focus so much on neutralizing the best players, you need your depth to win out. And I guess to that point, too, if it's if if we're seeing all these different teams in, maybe you're seeing other teams being more unable to to kind of put together better rosters up and down their lineup. To your point, that's fair. But I still I still think we could see a reality where even if you do add more and more of those teams, I'm I'm not as worried so much about that in terms of the it getting to a point where like you need that star quality to win you out and and and, and get you to the promised land. Like maybe I'm more optimistic about it, or maybe I'm I'm more naive to it. But like I I, I still see it working out. I'm just a worrier, Julian. This is I just worry. It's okay. Oh, it's okay. I, I'm sure it'll be okay. We don't I, it's worry just where my on brain this <laughs> We don't worry on this podcast. Wait, how could you with the dulcet tones of Ian Mendez's uh, radio voice settling you down? Oh, you know? my God. Seriously, it's like a blanket. Like, I just oh, like, yeah. basically I just sit in my chair and like I let him cook and I'm just like, all right, man, just I feel I'm good taking, about the world I'm, now. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, seriously. I take what Ian Mendez gives me every time he's on the show. Uh, and when it comes time for me to leap, to sit in the A chair, I just hope to continue where he's leaving <laughs> off, man. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. You're, you're crushing I'm trying it. My best. I'm trying my best. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're back and it's time for us to talk about the Stanley Cup final. Game one went down. Uh, I followed the live blog. You and uh, Haley Salvian were uh, contributing to that. A great job, both of you. By the it was, way. I, I was, it was a learning process. I don't know that it was my best live blogging performance. It had been a while. I, <laughs> I'll do better next one. <laughs> uh, no, I think, I think you were cooking. I think you were, you were doing your thing. You were, you were working in the post. You were getting your shots in. You, you did all right for yourself. It was okay. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what was more than okay. Game one of the Stanley Cup final game two. We're hours away from that. Yeah. Uh, this being a Monday, but I have to say watching from my couch, uh, I wanted like I got okay truth moment for everybody I don't know how to skate but if I could skate like I would find a way onto that ice and I would like suit up because like that was awesome just to take in the atmosphere the pregame intro the the crowd uh, the game itself there was so much to love about that game one and I really hope that energy uh, just continues to manifest itself throughout this uh this cup final series it was awesome it was really good. And, and, you know, Vegas pulls away at the end, but I, I thought the, the first two periods of this were exactly what we wanted out of this series. Two really good teams going at it. Two goalies just at their, uh, at their peak, right? And, and obviously Florida pulls away at the end. So we don't look back at Bobrovsky's numbers quite the same, but Aiden Hill was outstanding. And I thought early in the game, Bobrovsky was cooking. I probably jinxed him. There was a point in the live blog where I put, you know, this is the exact goaltending matchup that, that, you know, we would have hoped to see. I think it was like 30 seconds later that the second goal went in for Vegas. But um, I, I was really enjoying that game. And I, I think Florida is going to come back and I think they're going to tie the series tonight. 
Uh, I guess I'll cut to the chase with my prediction there. Um, but I, I think this series is going to be really exciting the whole way through. Two teams that are not going to give up. And, and I think uh, we've seen that from the Panthers the whole way. I have no reason to think it's going to change. Yeah, I'm inclined to think the same thing, too, with uh, with Florida. They've been in this situation before. Uh, uh, they lost that first game against Boston, their opening round series. Uh, this is a team that can punch back, but also the Golden Knights can also punch hard as well. But but with this Florida team, uh, I get it. Matthew Kachuk, not his best in that game. Sergey Bobrovsky probably would like at least one of those two, one of those goals back. Uh, I think it's way too soon, though. Uh, for people to start looking at the Panthers and be like, oh, they're turning into a pumpkin. Sergey Bobrovsky, I still think, has another really good game in him. Uh, I, I, I think with the way this Panthers team plays, just I can't see them getting dusted and swept. Like my, my prediction before the series began was Vegas in six. But like I could totally seeing I could totally see them tie this series up. I mean, if it wasn't for that third period going the way that it would like maybe get a closer game out of it. Uh, but definitely they need. They need uh, their their big guns to step up. But also, I don't know if you realize, but like that Saturday game, they score first. Eric Stahl scoring that shorthanded goal. That's the first time all postseason long uh, they've lost a game after scoring first. Like they, they could I could see them winning game two, if, especially if they get some of their big players to step up. Like I, I get they don't have that perfect record of scoring first and winning those games. But like the fact that they're able to do that against a really good Golden Knights team, like I still see them tying the series. Yeah, and I think we knew coming in, right? I, first of all, I was a Vegas and six uh, guy as well, so uh, we'll cheers to that. But um, mm-hmm. I, we knew coming in that, that the Florida Panthers were going to have to battle rust in a way that Vegas was not. And we actually maybe didn't see that in the first couple periods, which I thought was a really good sign for Florida. But I think if you told most people Vegas is going to win game one, you're not getting much surprise. After nine days off, that feels like the, the expected outcome here, right? But what we've seen from Florida, and, and they, they had won, I think it was like 11 out of 12 coming into that game. Um, you know, in that way, I guess we got to see how they respond. But we've seen them come back from 3-1 already in these playoffs mm-hmm. to a Boston team that it would have been much scarier to be down 3-1-2 than it is to be down 1-0 in the Stanley Cup final. Um, I don't think they're going to be rattled at all. I think the makeup of, of the guys in that locker room have are, there's a lot of veterans in there, but there's also just a lot of competitors in there who, you know, I don't think this is going to phase. So I expect them to come out hard tonight. If Vegas wins tonight, I know people say, you know, that the series isn't uh, tilting until somebody wins on the road. I do think they're in trouble if they go down 2-0 though, to this Vegas team. I mean, have you seen Paul Maurice after that game one? I think we got audio uh, of him uh how he responded after that game one loss. That is a dude who seems to be very, uh, very relaxed about all of this whole thing here. It's a tight game. Both teams make mistakes. We lost the first game in the Boston series well and got a little better. Then we lost two more, got a little better. Everybody just f***ing breathe. <laughs> all right, I feel like I feel like you people have been here. You're tight. To loosen you up a little bit. Okay, it is. I, I agree. How often, though, do people break out the just breathe one game into a series? And like, is that a little bit of a tell that maybe he's reminding himself as much as everybody else? I never thought of it that way, but I don't know if this was a young coach. Maybe I would think that way. This is not Paul Maurice's first time in the Stanley Cup final. It was a long it's time not. when that happened. But Paul, if there's a guy who, who, who could say, you know, hey, relax. I'm willing to give Paul Maurice that grace. But but that's kind of what I mean is like, who wasn't relaxed? Like, I know he said the thing is like the, the media room felt tense or whatever, but 
Like, I didn't see anyone in my little corner of the internet that I assume represents the entire world uh, saying that this series is over or something. Like we, like we just said, I think most people would have expected Vegas to come out and win game one based on, you know, the, just the difference in, in time off, right? Like, I don't, I didn't see anyone panicking. So then when I, when I contrast that with hearing like everybody just breathe, it's like, who wasn't breathing? Was it you? <laughs> like, I don't, that wasn't my perception. That's a very interesting point, but I, I don't know. I, I think some people, I'm sure some people somewhere probably thought the way that game was being played that, okay, well, Vegas is going to, is going to dust them. I know in at least one group chat that I'm in, uh, there were some people looking at this be like, man, like, you know, Florida, I don't know if they're going to be able to do this. They, they, Sergey Bobrovsky didn't look all that good. Maybe this is, you know, all that magic's running out and all that. I'm sure there are some people who believe that. So, so maybe he's trying to speak to those people, but you're right. I mean, it's not like I, Michael. I don't know if Michael Russo was saying that. I don't think he was. Right. Exactly. So I, no. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, to your point, I mean, it, it's possible that that's a message to the players, right? We don't know what the locker room was like. It, it is their first loss, uh, you know, since early in that Toronto series or in that Toronto series, I should say. Yeah, in the Toronto series. Yeah. So it's been a while since they lost the game. Maybe it's just a reminder that, you know, things aren't going to go perfect. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm just not ready to say that anything has really happened in this series yet. It's a one off series tonight is going to be a big moment in the series. And I think the Panthers are going to rise to it. I, I think Matthew Kachuk's going to show up. I think Sam Bennett's going to show up. Mm-hmm. I just think that this is a really, really good team that shows us time. And again, they are not afraid of the moment. They are not afraid to be in a tough position. They're not afraid to play close games and close series. And that's why I think it's going to be a close series. I ultimately give the edge to Vegas, but it would not shock me one bit if the Florida Panthers, if the Florida Panthers were to take this in six games. So I think this could be a great series. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of spinning my uh, tires here in a circle, but I, I, nothing to me has, has shifted. Well, I would love in terms of big moments to have uh, something like what Aiden Hill did in game one, uh, the paddle save uh, sprawling in the net, like, we're looking at a save of the postseason, save of the year candidate, as far as I'm concerned. And Jesse Granger wrote a really great story on essentially how Aiden Hill has been preparing to make that save pretty much his whole for a long, long, long time. His story, how Golden Knights Aiden Hill prepared for years for a spectacular paddle save you could read that at the athletic what did you think of the save i thought it was tremendous i thought it was the best save of the playoffs and one of the best saves of the entire season but what i loved and this isn't jesse's story is like he, he talks about how aiden hill always takes that like last puck game that that teams do at the end of you know skates and practices and, and warm-ups um and how he takes it super seriously and how players actually had to tell him like dude let the puck in so we can finish our warm-up yeah. i have always wondered julian what is the point of this game? Like, who does it really help? Because you're never going to have these, like, situations where you're just batting. I guess that maybe there's, like, a bat and a rebound component to it. But I never really got the point of it. But if it's if, if this is a pretty good use case, right, it gets your goalie ready to make these, like, crazy uh, instinctive saves, that's the answer. And Aiden Hill apparently was a, uh, I don't know, can I call him a psycho about it? And it just paid off because I think that without that save, game one might have gone differently. That was a momentum swinger. It was a huge moment in the game. Uh, Last puck, winner. Oh, yeah. Also, I know it's just off of one game, but if if he continues to play like this, that case for Aiden Hill, Conn Smythe Trophy winner, gets all the better. Like, I know Sergey Bobrovsky entered the series as the favorite. 
he has been the best goalie in the postseason. But Aiden Hill's story has been kind of left onto the side. He also didn't start the playoffs. He came on in relief of an injury to Laurent Brassois. He actually entered the Stanley Cup final with like a slightly better save percentage, one more shutout than him. Like Aiden Hill, like you look at his numbers. I don't have the I don't have the the detailed uh, advanced stats in terms of goals saved above expected, but like Aiden Hill in terms of you know the ones we can get off NHL.com. He has just, he's just as decorated as Sergei Bobrovsky's been this postseason. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, when, when you look at the, the Panthers and it, it would kind of boil down to Bobrovsky and Kachuk, when you look at the Golden Knights, Hill would have been going up against the, the great narrative that has been Jack Eichel's play in his first postseason. Jonathan Marchessault mm-hmm. has been outstanding and was really good again in game one. So maybe that's it, is that there's just more to distract from him. But I agree with you. I think when we did our poll on the athletic, I think I picked both goalies as the the Conn Smythe winners for for their team should they win. Um, and it's just it's just it's hard for me to see either of these teams being the winner of this series without a tremendous performance from their goalie because of how deep both of these teams are. They're both going to have a lot of chances. The winning team is going to need to have a tremendous goalie performance. Exactly. And look, I just thought it was a bit wild to see. Guys like Aiden, like just to see Aiden Hill's name be more as a long shot, but just one game, one performance, kind of sees him close that gap. I guess if you're looking at it from an odds perspective, but it had I don't been know, like man. plus a thousand, right? Did I see that the other day that he was like yeah. plus a thousand going into the series? That's way too high. That's nuts. I hope somebody it's out there took that. I if I was into doing more of these bets, and I understand I've been writing a lot of these articles where we're getting a lot of picks and people are making bets off that as well. But if I was making more of these bets or any of these bets. I would have done that for Aiden Hill. That being said, he was my uh, pre-Stanley Cup final pick to be the Conn Smythe winner just because of what he was able to bring to the table for the Golden Knights to stay alive uh, throughout this postseason. I get they have the really good team in front of them, but man, like this is a guy who has put together some pretty great performances and that big save in game one, uh, all part of that. And again, you should read Jesse's work on that uh, save because Jesse's great. And it's kind of funny, I think, of the fact that, uh, you know, some people were looking at Vegas and I think some people were also kind of looking at them as a dark horse, even though they were like like the best team in their division. But like I know, like some people were picking the I picked the Jets over them in the first round because they had Connor Hellebuck. That obviously didn't work. A lot of people picked the Edmonton Oilers uh, to beat them in the second round. That obviously didn't work out. The Dallas Stars, Jake Ottinger, Jason Robertson, all those guys. You can make the argument for them. But like. Yep, they're not they're not Florida, but there is some kind of maybe not underdog, but like people did kind of overlook the Vegas Golden Knights in a way. I, I, that's how I saw it. I agree with you. I, I think it's an easy, you know, you see a team be around for a while and you're used to them being toward the top of their. They didn't have kind of that like fresh buzz up at the top. And, uh, you know, they had Stone was, was out for a lot of the year. Speaking of which, while we're pumping Jesse's articles, his Mark Stone article coming into the series was great, too. And yes, absolutely. Uh, pretty good timing for a guy who made the play, a very Mark Stone play to swat the puck out and then score a, a huge insurance goal. Taking off but, of, uh, over a, a Matthew Kachuk turnover as well. Yes, exactly. So that was, to me, quintessential Mark Stone. So another another well-timed article by Jesse. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think there wasn't that shine on them. And, and you you had you know, the question of, of goal, which is hilarious as we come off talking about how Aiden Hill should be the Conn Smythe. But that was my question on them is what, what is the answer in goal here? 
Um, and Aiden Hill has been that answer. How much money, uh, by the way, I'm going to take us in just so many tangents today, Julian. How much I don't money care. Take has the Aiden Hill <laughs> made himself over these playoffs? Because he was going in, and I think Ooh. he was probably going to be like the best free agent goalie. But now you're not just looking at him as like, you know, okay, this is the best free agent goalie on a kind of overall so-so free agent market. Like, is he going to get paid like a number one now? Or like, I mean, feels like he could get at least $5 million on a decent term deal. Aiden Hill, according to Cap Friendly, uh, has estimated career earnings made a little over $6 million. I wonder if some team is willing to like basically pay him that. Like five annually. or six million. Like annually. Like, you're right. He has made himself money this postseason. I'm trying to think of like which team might want to throw out that money at an Aiden Hill. Just the fact that he could make that much money. I just hope for a sake, if he gets to a point where he makes that money, I really hope that, you know, he just continues to play at a high enough level. And we're not looking back at this contract in three years where it's like, man, they really just gave him that money because of one really good Stanley Cup final run. But you think about what what goal, you know, Aiden Hill is a young guy still. He's 27. You think about the Red Wings last year gave Billy Huso three years at 4.75 for what was effectively. I don't think it was a true rookie season for him, but it was really like his first long you know, stint in the NHL and it went well and he was able to get three times nearly five. Like Aiden Hill's 27. Why can't he get something like that? Three times five or something, you know, four times 4.75. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. No, no, you're not. You're not wrong in that at all. It's just I, I, we were talking earlier about how guys are starting to get paid for what they could be able to produce. Uh, and this would very much be a case of a guy who'd be getting money off of, one really good Stanley Cup final run. He but, very but much it's one really good Stanley Cup final run. That's when he's carrying the load. Sorry to cut you off. It like his track. Like go look, look at his save percentage. These are unlimited action because he was a backup. But he's right. a career nine ten goalie. Like it's not like he's been a bad goalie who's having this run. It's like he's got the opportunity and he seized it. Sorry to cut you off. Again. No, 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 no. Don't apologize for that. But you make a really good point. You're right. Like he's like at like at least when you look at his career save percentage, it's like league average. Like that's fine. That's okay. 9-10 in, in the current league year would have been above, I think. I mean, the, the way goals are going in now. Yeah. Shoot. I could think of a bunch of goalies who would have killed <laughs> to have 9-10 exactly. as a save percentage this year. But yeah, all that to say, I think Aiden Hill, regardless of how this goes, whether it's in Vegas, whether it's some other market, Aiden Hill definitely. Oh, God. Think about that, too, because Vegas has all these different goaltenders in their stable. Is there a Logan Thompson? Remember him? Like, is there a guarantee Aiden Hill even comes back to Vegas? I think Vegas should make it happen, but they've had this goaltending carousel. You know, at some point, when are you going to land it on somebody? They have to decide. They know Aiden Hill as well as anybody. They have to be the ones to decide, like, you know, do they believe it or not? And maybe that's a tell to other teams is like, if Vegas isn't really in on the bidding, do they know something that we don't? But. What did you, I mean, he has them this close to the cup final. Don't you at least owe it to yourself to try to get him on like two times Absolutely. four or something? I don't know. Absolutely. If he you, wants you to have, stay. You have to have those discussions. You have to start talking with his agent when it comes time. And you have to at least table that, have that conversation. Be like, hey, is he worth kind of keeping around? You got to figure something out with, with Brassois. And you figure out something out with Logan Thompson as well. Remember, Jonathan Quick is, is off this team's bench. He hasn't played a game of the Stanley Cup playoffs yet, but like he's he's their backup right now. Like they, yeah. they just have these goalies just there. Yeah, and I mean for a team that that had the goaltending question, like you you get this gift that it gets answered for you. I guess you got to decide how much you believe it, but boy, I would be inclined to say thank you very much. Extend 
and, and we'll see where it goes from here. Are you familiar with our Con Smythe winner of the week segment, Max? Uh, no, but I think I can piece it together. Basically, based on the title. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we basically look back at the past week. We figure out who had the best performance. Uh, basically, we have one game to go off of uh, here. But uh, we we try to do that. We we what we did in the regular season, Ian and I, we did uh, our Jack Adams winner of the week, so we picked the best coach. But in the postseason, we've done it for the player. And unless there's another name you're thinking of, I have to say, I Eden Hills the front runner for Con Smythe winner of the week with us. I'm with you. It was a great performance, like you said. It's only a one game sample, but it was there was a signature moment in there with the paddle save. Uh, I, I agree. It's hard to go a different direction. By the way, in terms of other nominees, I would have brought up Jack Eichel as well, uh, Shea Theodore, uh, Eric Stahl. Um, Russo put up a tweet saying it's been like over 6,000-something days since the last time he scored a cup final goal. And and Anthony Duclair scoring that, uh, that tying goal before the end of the second period, all worthy nominees. But Aiden Hill, 33 saves on 35 shots, a 943 save percentage in that game one win. All right, we 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 can agree on that one. Aiden Hill uh, is this week's winner of our Con Smythe uh, winner of the week. Uh, the only other thing that I guess we can get to before we wrap up, uh, you brought this up actually. Uh, this was a really cool uh, kind of you know which one should I pick scenario here. What's the better story, Bruce Cassidy, uh, the Golden Knights head coach, winning the cup uh, a year after being fired by the Boston Bruins, who you know. Have their record-setting season this year, only to lose in the first round to the Florida Panthers, who have Paul Maurice, who uh, could be on the verge of winning a Stanley Cup after resigning in Winnipeg. What's a better story, Bruce Cassidy winning the Cup or Paul Maurice winning the Stanley Cup? I have to say, like, Paul Maurice's, like, you know, lifetime of of service in the NHL, like, makes his first Stanley Cup, even by no matter what, like, would be an unbelievable story, like, to, to have a guy who's coached as long as he has finally break through, but then to have it come after he had to resign midseason in Winnipeg on a team that like, you know, there's all these kind of rumblings and reports of like, oh, it's a dysfunctional locker room or whatever. He comes into Florida and, you know, basically you're now you're hearing like how great the Florida Panthers locker room is, right? Like, I do think there's something really appealing about that, but just on the sheer petty, right? Like your team fires you and they go on to have the best regular season in league history. You know, at that point you, you can't be feeling very good about your situation, but then they get swept in the first, or not swept, sorry. They get knocked out in the first round and you go to the cup final and you have a chance here. If he gets it done to win it over the team that knocked you out, that's all time. Is it not? That is pettiness. That is really cool. That would be, That'd be a pretty wild story for Bruce Cassidy. Uh, Here's one thing I'll say about Paul Maurice. I think his case for him being the better story here is made purely off of how he's handled some of these these post-game pressers this postseason. I think uh, I did not know Paul Maurice was this funny uh, and and this interesting as an individual. And I think this postseason has opened my eyes to that. I get it. He's always been a pretty good quote. But I don't know if we've been able to see him act the way that he's been acting all postseason long. So if he finds a way to do it, considering that he had all those years with the Winnipeg Jets and he just decided, you know what, I need to step away. Meanwhile, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, they get beat in the first round 
And they basically quit. Like Rick Bonus has that press conference where he's like, you know, those guys just did not play. And they could be going through, maybe they go through changes in the offseason. Maybe they keep it at a minimum. But the Winnipeg Jets are not in a good place. You know who's in a really good place? Paul Maurice and the Florida Panthers are. Which, And, and I get it too. They were not in a good place either. It took Keith Kachuk going on radio being like, hey, this team's playing soft. And then everybody woke up. But we see that all the time in the postseason where where teams uh, just click at the right time. They go on a run, and it helps them get to a place like the Stanley Cup final. I'm going to say Paul Maurice for this one. You you talk about his press conferences and the quotability. This is nerdy that like nobody but us maybe ever would even think about, but has there been like a better beat writer coach pairing than Marat covering Paul Maurice? Like oh. just a super thoughtful, like great listening. You know, Marat's just like the perfect, like inquisitive, yeah. uh, you know, reporter to cover somebody like Paul Maurice who can be, who can be light. He can be funny. He can be deep. He can do it all in the same press conference. Like that's a perfect beat writer, uh, coach combo that, 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 that we at the athletic had, uh, for, for a few years there. Oh yeah. I bet Murat was devastated when he heard that Paul was leaving. I bet he was. Well, did, I think, I think, Murad had written a column either that day or the day before or the week before that was like, should Paul Maurice is Paul Maurice like still the right voice for this team? I think um, that like kind of, you know, just basically predicted what was going to happen. Um, Jeez. Yeah, it was a wild ending. But I remember some I mean, there's uh, Murad is so good in general, but there was just so many stuff there that Murad would would pull through that it was like, yes. This is really good, like thoughtfulness by Paul Maurice, but it's also just like the perfect kind of vessel for it um, from Murat. He is he's one of the best. So you're picking Bruce Cassidy for this? Best I am. story? Yes. <laughs> I have my long spiel. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, Paul Maurice because uh, you know what? Like as I was explaining it for myself, I was like, you know what? I actually kind of like this story for for Paul. Give Even me the revenge. If, yeah, you know what? Someone is gonna come out. You know what? Even if they don't win. They could just kind of be proud of themselves for how this postseason run began, uh, began and ended for them. But you're right. Like, someone's going to come out on top at the end. But, like, they, I think they could both kind of look back at their seasons and be like, ha, shows you, insert former team here. Yeah. No, it, it's it's true. Either way, you're proving somebody wrong to an extent. Uh, but I just think the scale of it, right? Like, with, with what must have been going through Bruce Cassidy's mind, it, even if he tried to keep it out, seeing how good the Bruins' regular season was – for him to come out and be the one lifting the cup at the end of the year, whoo, that to me, like I said, I think it's all time. I think it's all time. Uh, if someone is going to get some level, someone's going to be feeling some level of petty when they raise that cup. I know it for sure. And with that, that brings us to the end of the uh, Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Max, we got through an entire episode and uh, we didn't break anything in the process. So maybe they'll bring us both back. I sure hope so. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Thank you so much for kicking it with me, man. And thank you, uh, dear listener, for listening to The Athletic Hockey Show. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and review. We'd sincerely appreciate it. Follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at The Athletic Hockey Show. And right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.